It's been three weeks, six days, and 24 hours since the release of their debut, three years, five months, and two days in the life of, that's a fancy way of saying nearly three decades or 30 years. Back when the baby was in the diapers and before little baby was born, hip-hop pioneers Arrested Development were enjoying their meteoric success of their first song named after a state and about a state of mind. Tennessee, 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 Tennessee. On the strength of those two uniquely universal songs, the lead vocalist of the group, Speech Thomas, became a voice to a new generation of pan-African, socially conscious hip-hop that found success on the Top 40 and Black Radio. While radio has let us down, speech has not. He makes a triumphant return, rapping about events as recent as a January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, releasing new music as a part of Arrested Development, and as a solo artist. This is a moment to witness the expansion of speech, the activist, the husband, the father, the artist. On today's show, Speech Thomas on his nearly 30 years in the music industry and his latest music, Expansion. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure Lighthouse production, brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. So we can make a different world So whatever history unfurls Hip-hop is from the school of Hillman So we can make a different world We can make a different world We can make a different world Dwayne Wade, Lisa Bonet, Jasmine Guy Characters in the narrative Went to college to thrive It is imperative cause we was left to die With over 30 years in the music industry Speech Thomas has been a trailblazer in the hip-hop community, a producer, activist, author, and a vocal commentator on the state of black music today. He wisely uses his platform to promote social consciousness and continues to allow his Christian faith to guide his artistic choices. Expansion, the new solo project from Speech, which just dropped, revives a sophisticated blend of jazz hooks and soulful moods over the mature lyrics of a married man with children. Here's our interview with Speech Thomas. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Valerie Johnson with Interludes. Uh, my next guest, my goodness, he is one of the co-founders of the Grammy Award-winning group Arrested Development. He is an artist, an author, a music mentor, father, and a man of faith. Please welcome Speech. Thomas. Right. And also on the line that's who's cheering is our executive producer, Mr. Michael Womble. How are you, Michael? I, I'm doing better. The morning gets better and better as each each uh, moment moves on. Uh, let's let's get started. 
Um, as an artist, when you see nonsense like the recent January 6th Capitol insurrection, let's just get right to it. Nah, what do you think? Yes. Oh, yeah. that's tragic. Or you say, I'm going to write a song about it. Uh, do you see this as a tragedy or a topic to explore musically? And obviously you did with the, I think that's your opening track for your first, the, the, your, your album. Started your off. Album out now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see it as both. I see it as an absolute tragedy and an absolute, I don't even know if tragedy is my word that I would use. For me, I think it is, um, well, it's a tragedy for our nation and it's, it reveals a lot of the division and the confusion that is running rampant in this country. And it was, it was uh, very, it's a rude awakening. So that's what I see it as. And um, yeah, my first single for this album expansion is A Different World, which I address it. Like, and I love technology for this because I never would have been able to see an event like January 6th insurrection, and then six days later, drop a single about that event. I never would have been able to do that in the past. I mean, technology has changed so much that um, that's one of the ups of, of technology. So yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's amazing. And what is the vibe of expansion? We, myself and Michael got a chance to listen to a little bit, but why don't you explain what is the, the melody or the concept behind expansion? I've been feeling like we've been constricted as a nation from the whole COVID-19 realities. And even with our leadership in our country, the mindset and the views have been constricted. You know, um, most of the country has been utterly ignored as far as even being a part of this country's trajectory. And only a very small part of the country was being played to and being, you know, catered to. And so expansion is the opposite of that. I wanted this album to, um, you know, help us to expand again what we're striving to do, not only as a country, but as individuals, more importantly. And um, so it's just expansion. And so the, I, there's, there's a song on the album called Expansion. And I talk about that a lot and um, in that song. So I, I tend to, lately I've been tending to grab album titles from a song on the record and just move from there. So that's what I did on this one. Wow, and uh, we also have new Arrested Development music that graced yeah. us at the end of 2020. Uh, what's the difference between a speech solo project and the work by Arrested Development? What elements make each own unique? That's a great question. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're all an extension of me. I mean, um, so for me, I've been able to allow the speech projects to be more melodic, a lot more singing, and so it allows me a lot more freedom. And I that that happened for me from my first solo album back in 96. And then the Arrested Development albums, because it was a hip hop group and is a hip hop group, it allows me, that, that side of me and that part of me to be more full-fledged on an Arrested Development record. So um, I'll be honest, like throughout the years, I've been refining and fine tuning what Arrested Development and speech is. So it's it's a work in progress, like how do you work that out? But yeah, I mean, I, if I had to describe it, I think it's a matter of more melody, more singing on speech stuff, more hip hop, more straightforward on Arrested Development stuff. Right. In 2018, or I think it was 2019, you went from being a music video star or an activist 
to becoming a star in a documentary called 16 Bars. I got a chance to screen it yesterday. And oh, the music, a... yeah, there you go. <laughs> and music as a means of social rehabilitation among incarcerated Americans. Uh, did your Christian faith lead you to become involved with this documentary? And how did the documentary come together? You know, my Christian faith, to be honest, has a lot to do with everything I do, um, period. But um, mm -hmm. I think just my love for Black people in particular, my own people, has had a lot to do with um, wanting to respond to this crisis. Because what people don't understand, well, maybe people are becoming more aware of this, but we have the largest incarcerated population on the planet Earth. It has become a way to destroy families and communities and really destroy the faith that people have in this country to be just by the way these laws are being used to put people behind bars. And so when I saw a documentary on CNN, it had, um, it was a Lisa Ling documentary called This Is Life. And she yeah. covered a sheriff that allowed these black men to have interaction with their little daughters for a daddy-daughter dance. And, I, and it was wow. very moving, it was very touching. I was like, wow, that sheriff has a vision for these men that I don't often see in the prison system and in jails. And so I, I, talked, to my, I talked to my manager, he called that particular jail up in Richmond, Virginia, which is where it all happened, and talked to them about me coming in. And could I come in and do some music with the uh, what's called inmates. I call them residents. And I could do music with the residents and I could film it. And you know, so we just started, you know, brainstorming, like, well, we could film this whole entire process and let's do that. Well, we we did that about, I'm gonna say four years ago. And it okay. took two and a half years for things to open up for us to for me to actually go through the doors and go into that jail because we had to work out so many details. And um, yeah, so that's what happened. And then the result was 16 bars, which I'm really excited about. I'm very happy about it. And um, we screened it throughout the nation and even in a couple foreign places. And it has done extremely well with audiences and we've won a lot of awards, film festival awards. And I'm, I'm very encouraged by the love for this film. And I'm encouraged by what was able to be seen in this film. There's four men that um, are showcased in this film. And all four of them have had their lives transformed because of the film. But people around the nation in particular have gotten to know these four men and these men mean something to them. And so it put a face on incarceration. It put a face on mass incarceration. I think it put a face on um, drug addiction, the cycles of, of drug addiction and family traumas that are going on. It put a face on a lot of these issues and they're very complex issues, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, the of the four, because I, I was really impressed with uh, Devante, Garland, um, and then Teddy yeah. um, and Anthony, do you keep up with any of the four that were highlighted in the, in the, in the film? Yeah, we kept up with them like, a lot, especially right when the film was released and for about a year or so after. And as time has gone on, because now that's been a minute since we released the film, it has been even more of a minute since I was actually inside of the jail. 
I don't talk to them as much now, but I can say that their journeys are continuing on. Their trajectory is moving forward. Um, all of them have gotten various financial, but more importantly, or maybe just as importantly, um, social benefits from being in that film where the governor of, of Virginia, for instance, has been considering a pardon for Garland Carr, who's one of the, the people that's still in prison um, right now. Uh, yeah, so that's great. And uh, Devante, for instance, was released during the film, when you watch the film, and he unfortunately went back in and he was allowed out again because of the film. Um, so there's numerous just things, just the trajectories have totally changed for these men because of this film. And um, yeah, so it's 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 been a journey. And I'll, I'll be back in touch with them again. I haven't talked to them recently, but it, we're, we're now connected. Like the four men in this film, whenever we do talk, it's like you're talking to sort of like a family member that you haven't seen or talked to in a while, but you pick up right where you left off and everything, you know, comes right back together. So, yeah. Next question. Yeah, you know what? I, I do want to ask about kind of going back to what you're talking about with with 16, uh, excuse me, with 16 bars, because uh, at the time when you made this movie, it was interesting. I was teaching in uh, Texas and we were doing summer school. And for that uh, school, a teacher and I, who's uh, from LA, she'd come in and we kind of created this, this curriculum that had to do with uh exposing and educating our students about the prison uh the the, the uh the school to prison pipeline yeah. because here are the kids who are stuck in summer school mm -hmm. uh you know we could go over the the you know the the nuts and crannies of curriculum or we felt like we could teach them something about life right now because the goal our goal was that we didn't want them coming back to summer school next year. Right. Exactly. And here, here, this is what happens when people begin to put you in a pigeonhole and they begin to label you, they right. send you out of one pipeline mm -hmm. heading to college and they send you into this other pipeline. That's right. Because in one of those pipelines, the overall goal is somebody's going to make some money. So yeah. they'll either make some money with you going to college and you get a little piece of paper at the end or they make some money and they send you behind some bars. Yep. And when we did that, we thought that that was a really important thing. And I wish I had known about your movie at that yep. point in time, but I feel like you are part of this kind of, this movement that's happening. I see movies like uh, the, 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 the movie um, out of Philadelphia about, about the Africa family and the, and, and, the 40, 40 Years a Prisoner, and all of these kind of things, Ava uh, DuVernay's movie, 13. It's, 13. Mm -hmm. it's like time Time is not, because people will see 16 bars in a year, in two years. It, it doesn't even matter when you made it. You have created this thing that lives. Yes. And whenever mm -hmm. people access it, that's when they get to benefit from it. Yep. So some of the questions I have for you are kind of more ethereal in that in that area. Uh -huh. I'm I'm wondering as an artist, yeah. how, how do you define success? Is it is it an event? Is it something that happens, or is it a is it a process? That's a great point. Um, well, first of all, you know, for me, 
I come from a family that is journalists. My father was a journalist. He had a black newspaper in Milwaukee, which is where I was born. And then my mom took over a paper and she is a journalist to this day. It's about 44 years. The largest black newspaper in Wisconsin is called the Milwaukee Community Journal. My mom owns that, She's she runs that. And I learned that publishing things is power, that putting out things that will live on, as you said, for generations and generations, way past your lifetime is powerful because we gain knowledge, we understand life as we live this life. And now how can we pass that on to someone else, regardless of when they pick it up? And that to me is success. Um, I believe that being able to fulfill uh, uh, goals that you that you have in your life is success. Whether whether or not they will be celebrated by everyone or not, you can't control that aspect. And so, to me, the success is actually accomplishing the piece of work, whatever that is. And yeah, the rest you can't really control. You can you can try to 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 direct it as much as you can into a place of acceptance by everybody, but you can't ultimately control that. And in my life has shown me that in, in bigger ways than probably a lot of other entertainers' lives have, because I've put out a lot of projects over the years, sometimes with great success and celebration, and then other times with just personal success and not a lot of celebration, all times being important. And also being in this industry as long as I have been, I've seen that things that aren't initially celebrated by everyone can sooner or later be celebrated in later years. I've seen that with my own work. Mm -hmm. I, I think a song that you did uh, many years back, uh, like like Marvin said, I, I, I come back to that song again. I mean, oh, okay. I, I think that as you were moved, I can see your movement, you know, yeah. through that song into where you are today. And I, I think some of the things you, you created are timeless. Uh, Thank you. Tennessee, yeah, Tennessee's timeless, timeless song. Thank you. Uh, online, I ask people about uh, what songs do they think of when they think of you, when they think of Arrested Development. And this is what someone said to me. They, they wrote this, and I thought this was great. It said um, that you were bringing uh, lyrics to a new generation and the awareness that we all go through some trying times and that we need to trust God's plan. Yeah. Um, but this, this is a friend of mine wrote, he said, but only a, a few modern artists got that message. And I asked him who, and he gave me a couple names, but rather than share his names, I'm wondering who do you think maybe got that message? Who, who can we listen to today that along with the new Arrested Development and new speech, anybody else get that message that you were sending out, uh, maybe so, so long ago? That's a great question, bro. I mean, wow. You know, I'll be honest with you. I, okay, this is the, this is probably going to be a downer answer. So I'm just preparing you for this. But for me, I come from a school of thought that we are standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. The greatness that our ancestors accomplished, we are supposed to take that greatness to the next level. So coming from that school of thought, I don't feel like a lot of the new artists are doing that compared to what already existed in previous generations. That's my view. It's unpopular view. It's just, it's just what I feel. 
I don't feel that they even acknowledge a lot of the past artists, period. I don't think mm. they studied them. I don't think they know they exist. Mm. I talk to young people today. They don't know who Run DMC was. They don't know who Public Enemy was. They don't know who mm -hmm. Arrested Development is. It was different for our generation. Not only did we know who Earth, Wind & Fire was, or Marvin Gaye was, or Blue Note Records was, or Herbie Hancock was, we not only knew who they were, we studied it by sampling it and crate, what we call crate digging. We crate dug and found the best samples. We knew who played bass. We knew who played drums. This was what hip hop started as. It started as a, in some ways, a, um, a, a given love to those that came before us. This is mm -hmm. not the way it is in my experience today. There is some few exceptions, but so I so I, I'm not saying I don't like any music today. I am saying I don't know if a lot of people have picked up the torch the way they should have musically with mm -hmm. all the genius that has happened prior to this generation musically and artistically. Um, but I'm sure I'm missing some. So I'll have to, I, sorry I, for I, the it's a dollar no, no. answer, bro. But that's no, just no, how it's I fine. Feel. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. No, it's good to it's good to hear that. I mean, nine times out of ten, I, uh, you know, Valerie and I will tell you we can't listen to the radio. I mean, yeah, neither. we just neither can't listen can. to it. It's it's done. And you know, and and that sometimes includes sadly satellite serious yeah. this radio. I, I gotta like, oh nope, mm -mm, can't yeah. do it. Can't do yeah. it. Peach, you know, I um, mean, not to harp on this, but I, I, I created a mini documentary and you guys may know about it. It's called the nigga factory and it's on YouTube. And on this, this mini documentary, I express a lot of my fears <sighs> for where we are going and what we have allowed to happen to us as a people, the decadence, the amount of it, I'm not suggesting that there should be no different you know, difference of opinions within our communities are, of course, there should be ratchet records and there should be all types of records. That's just- There always of, have been, right? There always has been. That is part of who any community is, but right. we have been run amok, as, as our brother Malcolm said, bamboozled, hoodwinked to where 90% of what we are consuming as a people is garbage. It has very little nutrient value. It has very little future value. And it is totally sort of stopping our ability to thrive the way that God intended and that we can thrive based on the successes of our previous ancestors. We have the ability to do better than what we're doing. And we just don't see it because of so much of what we're consuming or eating, in a sense, is so decadent that we're not able to think past a certain point and so again that's more downer stuff no that's no, no that's okay my, that's my truth. Well, well, well let me mention one of them uh let me mention this these two two people that was mentioned to me and and I, i'll just pass them along to you uh since you shout out the midwest you know milwaukee got chicago in the house here uh one of those gentlemen that was mentioned was from chicago named chance the rapper you yeah. may have heard of him, uh, somebody who at least in his, his speech uh, has tried to, you know, articulate something more than just uh, banality in his music. So that was one of the names that was mentioned to me. Another was J. Cole, uh, yeah. somebody who actually has a knowledge of at least the past, you know, music right. of the people that came before him. 
Yeah. Uh, I would I would offer up even uh, a Kendrick Lamar at times some of the samples of the Isley Brothers that he, sure. he shows, like at least the the understanding that he is coming from somewhere. And Kendrick, as we you know, quiet as kept, no, we he has some Midwest roots too within his family. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. East he, Chicago. He's got a look. Got some okay. within the family. So. So I attribute that to his information, you know, his understanding is the Midwest. No, I, you know, I want to, I love to address those kind of artists because there are artists like that. And I do, I do acknowledge those aspects of their music. And by the way, I listen to their music. Like I'm a fan of the music. I'm a fan of the art. So I listen to it. The only thing that I would say that is not carried on from what Arrested Development did is this acknowledgement like our brother Malcolm had, which is this acknowledgement that you can't be Malcolm Little or Detroit Red and Malcolm X at the same time. You have to evolve and then denounce one or the other. You can't be both at the same time. And that's what I don't agree with, with mm -hmm. a lot of the artists that are considered conscious today. They are trying to be both at the same time. And I don't know any of the true revolutionaries of our past, whether it be Garvey or Dr. Martin Luther, uh, Luther King or Malcolm X or whoever, who tried to ride both at the same time. Now they may have come from that and that's the inspirational part. They may have come from being a hustler or a pimp or whatever they were. And then they evolved and became something totally different. And that's the part we celebrate. We celebrate mm -hmm. the journey but the destination was different. It's not the same. And they're not, they don't coexist. Now, sure, experiences and life experiences that he experienced as a hustler, I'm talking about Malcolm X now, we understand that that helped to define what he would later want to think. But he did evolve. And he was not ashamed to say, I don't want to be a street hustler no more. And he wasn't a street hustler anymore. He was a man that had evolved to a conscious man who spoke about our freedom with unapologetic fervor. That mm -hmm. I don't see in many of the rap, really any of the rap artists of today. And again, I could be missing some, but that's my experience when I think of those great, ac accomplished and amazing artists like a J. Cole or Chance the Rapper or um, you know Kendrick Lamar and so on and so forth. So that's my view on it. Okay, I appreciate that. It's good to get that perspective. I know Valerie has more questions she has for you. Go right ahead. You're on mute, baby. Because I did not want to interrupt the flow. That's how that works. I'm sorry. I know I go in on these things, but that's that's just that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> the the um the unfortunate anniversary of Malcolm X's death was about two days ago. I think was that the 21st, Michael? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, revolution. That's, I guess, one of my favorites that you've done for a soundtrack. How was it working with Spike Lee? And when you all shot the the the, the music video for that uh, that song, uh, I lived in Brooklyn for 18 years and just kind of walking around and just feeling the vibe. Uh, you described your music as life music. How was that whole experience working with Spike and creating that song for that soundtrack for Malcolm X? I had always been a huge Spike Lee fan. He moved, his movies have moved me like very little others have in the black world of film. And 
So I'd always been hoping to work with him. I tried to reach out to him numerous times as just a nobody, you know, Arrested Development wasn't big or anything and trying to get on his films with our music, Arrested Development's music, but we weren't famous or, or popular. So um, never got a chance to do that. When he reached out to me, um, we were in New York at a show with The Last Poets and he came backstage and I was so happy, excited to meet him. Long story short, he asked us to do the Malcolm X soundtrack. And getting in the studio with him first was just awesome because he was so involved. Like he was part of the voices of revolution. He was part of the, he got on the mic himself and was screaming along with us. Oh. He's very involved with the art that he does. And I love that. Then secondarily, the day of the video shoot in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. It was my first time seeing such a consummate professional. The excellence of Spike Lee was so moving to me. He had numerous film crews, and I mean big production value, where we had 500 people marching throughout Brooklyn on one scene. Then we had a whole nother school that we did a scene in, and then we were on a block for another scene. My point is, is that all of those scenes were already preset pre-fabbed um, out, meaning the stylist, the makeup, all of that was done for 500 extras, um, the dance crews, the, the signs, everything was already done. We did that entire video in seven hours. In my entire career, I never worked with such a professional. And I also never had such a quick video shoot. Usually our videos would take two days. This was seven hours with 500 extras, three locations, all the lighting, all the big production. So I was extremely moved to be able to work with Spike. Uh, he was a great experience to work with. Yeah. And I, I figured I figured as much because Spike is the consummate professional when it comes he to is. filmmaking. Um, myself and Michael, uh, we went to the same college. And back in the 90s, um, the song, I'll bring it back up again, Tennessee, uh, meant a great deal to me. Um, and it definitely it researched for myself with the passing of my mother uh, back in 2019. And mm. it's something in that song that just kind of reaches out and just kind of grabs you at the heart and just kind of like, I want you to listen to me. This is what, this is how I feel right now. And it, it brought yeah. me a sense of comfort. Uh, and I know that song was about a moment in time for you. And it, it definitely is a personal, uh, personal song from your perspective. But why does that song have such uh, lasting power. You even did it in 16 bars. I was so impressed. Uh, you just started to sing a cappella, and I saw some of the inmates kind of mouthing the words, and it's like, that song has such lasting power. What do you attribute that to? That's a great question. I, I personally feel that, like for me, I, I could have chose any song to perform for those residents in that jail. Mm -hmm. And my objective was to do a few things show that I'm a performer, show that I'm a human being that has been through ups and downs just like you all. And to me, that song of all of my catalog accomplishes that. So even from a worldwide perspective, it was our first single. And so what did we were, what were we out to accomplish as a group? Well, hey, we're an entertainment group, we're a group. But the lyrics and the concept of that song is so personal and so vulnerable that even if you don't listen to the lyrics closely, the energy of that is still being perpetuated or put out. 
And so I think it just it just has this this feeling that everyone can feel who has been through things that have hurt them, who are confused about the direction their life is going, and and is and whether they believe in God or the universe or whatever their particular belief system is, they want to reach out to something bigger than them, and they're asking for guidance. And to me, that song is special for that reason to a lot of people. And it's definitely my favorite Arrested Development song because I lost my grandmother and brother in the same week. And the last place I saw both of them was in Tennessee and it was at my grandmother's funeral. And so just losing family members that close together gives you a sense of um, vulnerability. Like everything that's dear to you, everything that makes you feel safe in this world can be taken from you in it in a blink of an eye. And when you realize that, it makes you realize how vulnerable you are. And um, so I think that song has some type of, it's something in that world that that makes people feel some kind of way about that song. And I'm grateful it was our first single. Very grateful. Yeah, and Michael, what, what, what did Tennessee mean to you? You, you know, um, I, one thing I want to mention, because uh, you know, what you're saying makes me think that um, now I know one of the reasons why I could, I, I, why I kind of identify with the song and could, could I kind of connect to it. I, I didn't, I wasn't experiencing the loss that like Valerie would experience in some ways or you, or maybe even other people. What I heard, and, and you, you made me think of it, talking about hip hop today, because we don't hear it today. What I heard was a black man like myself who was vulnerable yeah. and i saw a different a different image of black masculinity yes. yes and you were presenting that to the world yes and i think you touched so many people by doing that that yeah. it goes beyond the song and in some ways it's a part of the song yes. so when they hear that song they connect back to that feeling that it's okay to be sad Yes. It's so crazy to cry because yes. out of that 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 tenderness comes some strength. And this is all part of who I am. Yes. Like I'm not just one thing. I am exactly. this, yes. and, and and that's what I think that's you know, I, I didn't think of it until right now. I mean that's that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. And and that's why the, the world had no the world had had no choice but to accept it. And, and I think you, you you opened up so many doors. You know, those doors are still open today. And, and it's, it's, it's just a shame that there haven't been more people walking through those doors. Because I think they're still open. Yeah, I think it's still it's still there. It, it still could be done. People can still that. express that. I and and, and, I, and I, I thank you for that. Um, now, when it comes to the actual song, on the radio I'm gonna I'm mention something that I mentioned to Valerie uh, a couple of days ago and she uh I, I I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was gonna ask you but I'm gonna ask you now okay <laughs> uh -oh, all right so I saw the first time I saw the video for Tennessee it was on MTV yeah and it was an MTV exclusive yeah and speech I gotta tell you brother you know what I have you know there's the Bechtel rule about women in movies and all I had the Womble rule which was this if I saw black people on MTV first, before I saw them on BET, yeah. I was suspect. Right, 
Cause, cause, cause Millie Vanilli fell in that category too. All right. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, it was these two German brothers from yeah. you know yeah. came over, and they were supposed to be the next big thing. And I ain't seen them until I saw them on MTV. Right. And it made me think. Hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw you guys come out on MTV first, before I saw you on BET, and you all got trees and watermelons and, and, and hats and stuff, and I'm like, they're like, this is a new black thing. It's like, uh, says who? Right, right, exactly. I feel you. Who, who said this? Viacom? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. see. Wait, what, what record label they are? They are, they are chrysalis right right my <laughs> that's not uptown right, that's right. Not Def Jam. Is that, that ain't Def Jam, right yeah that ain't tommy boy wait <laughs> what like yeah. uh this is gonna be the new thing uh yeah. let me yeah. see uh i don't know right you know hmm Right. And then the song, and then there you are and then you're crying and you're talking about all this loss right. and i'm seeing this new version of black masculinity yeah and i hear your voice and you know the other voice i heard you know the other voice i heard that was crystal clear as i heard it and i'm like wait a minute i, I know whose voice that is i don't have to dig through my crates of 1999 okay my crates a dirty mind to know right. to recognize that other voice that's prince they got Prince on this song. Wow. Whoa. You noticed that right off the bat. That's hot. Right off the bat. I was Tennessee. I'm like, oh, I uh, oh, I am a, a Prince ophile. I love Prince music. And then later on, as I learned more about him, he's a really interesting person, too. Yeah. But I was more attracted to the music, the thing that he yeah. created. And yeah. I, I just want to ask you, that's a big deal to be on MTV like that. Yeah, but yeah. I gotta think that was a big idea to get Prince on your first <laughs> record. How did that happen? Yeah. How did it come about? Did you get to work with him? Did you get to talk to him? Um, what what happened with that? You know, somebody has passed on now. We can only, you know, experience the thing that he created forever, his music. But what was your experience like with Prince? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a principal. I, I like that term. I never used that before, but I can use it now. But it's like, you know. I love his music. He's always been my favorite artist and he still is my favorite artist ever, like including any era in the past or so far. So he's just my favorite artist. And so um, I would always try to sample his stuff when I could. So I never, at that time when I wrote Tennessee, I never met him. I just sampled Alphabet Street. Uh, I'm gonna take mm -hmm. you to the back seat and drive on to Tennessee. And I just grabbed that Tennessee. And uh, the sampling rules was really interesting back then where it wasn't really locked in stone how it all worked. They, they hadn't really worked all that out. So I just felt like, well, it's a word. It's not a melody. It's not anything else. It's not a beat. It's a word. It should be fine. So I throw it, I throw it into this, this song I'm creating, Tennessee. And um, it was so deep because when the record got to a certain part on the, like certain level on the charts, on the pop charts, it got like to number six or something. And it went down to number seven. And that day it went down, I got a call from Paisley Park, Prince's place. And they were saying, hey, Prince wants to uh, collect on the money for this sample. And I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? And he, what? he charged me, he charged me $100,000 for that one word. 
Wow. One word, Tennessee. And I felt some kind of way about it, but obviously, like I said, I'm a huge Prince fan and I paid it and uh, everything was good. And later, me and Prince have been trying to hook up for years. Like he used to um, ask me to come hang out at Glam Slam and um, in Minneapolis. Then one other time he invited me to Paisley Park and I couldn't come because I was mastering a record in New York. And so I learned later that you never turn down a Prince invitation. Like anybody that knows it, I didn't know that because I don't look at people that way. So I learned that mm -hmm. when he invited me, I was supposed to drop that mastering session in New York and go meet with Prince, but I didn't realize that. So long story short, we ended up meeting at Paisley Park for um, a birthday celebration he was sort of doing. He didn't celebrate birthdays, but he was doing this celebration. And um, got a chance to meet him and his wife. And we talked about the Tennessee sample and everything. And we had a great conversation, a great time. And it was all good. Um, I have a million other, well, a lot of other Prince stories, but the, but Prince is one of my favorites. And that's how I got him on the song. I sampled it. That was that was about the, the, the length of it, yeah. Okay. So, so I mean, when you when you say that now, it, it makes me think that uh, you know over the weekend you had that that whole De La Soul uh, uh, T Titan thing going on with De La Soul still still going at Tommy Boy and vice versa. That that Prince could have told you speech um, no, like uh, pull that record off the radio, pull, off pull it off. That's he right. He could have done that. I mean. And later, as a as a more professional, like being in this for longer, I realized that, and I realized that he really did me a favor. The hundred thousand, we were making millions off that record, so that's not the issue. The hundred thousand, the one word, he could have pulled the record off the shelf. He could have he could have demanded half ownership, even all ownership of the record. He could have like like Steely Dan did, like Steely like Dan famously Dan. did. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of options he had. He chose an option that was quick. And it was all good. I, I actually thanked him for that when I saw him at Paisley Park with me and my queen and meeting him and his queen. And uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful for the way he handled it. But I didn't realize that. First record out for us, first time ever being famous, not, mm -hmm. you know, novices to the, you know, to the music industry. So, you know, it just was what it was, but it was a beautiful thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow. Beyond the lights, beyond behind the music, you have rooted yourself in your uh, Christian faith. Um, I personally know that. How has yeah. your faith directed your actions as a husband and as a father and as a celebrity? Um, I think it saved my life as a husband and as a father in particular. Um, maybe as a celebrity, but definitely as a husband and father. Um, prior to becoming a Christian, I was on the trajectory of cheating with my cheating on my wife. I was on the trajectory of what my past, the men in my family, the trajectory and the, the things that they were on, the, the cycles that they were on. I was on that same cycle. I learned how to be a better, not even a better husband, really a husband from Jesus Christ and his teachings. So the things that were explained to me through the scripture, the man that I needed to be, the man that God intended me to be, same difference with my fatherhood. I would have been um, really a bumbling type of flying by the seat of my pants type of person, just bumbling around, knocking around, trying to work out how to be a father. But Jesus 
really streamlined all of that for me and helped me to understand the importance of parenthood, the importance mm -hmm. of the family, the importance of me being an active, engaged man of my household. Right. And that is life-changing for anyone who decides to take on this, this type of life and challenge. And it was, it was 100% a change for me and my family. So I'm very grateful. I have two incredible kids, um, two biological kids. I have two other kids that we helped to raise and all of them are doing really well. All of them appreciate my parenthood, my, my wife's parenthood. They, they respect us. They love us. They're, we're friends with one another. And that's my kids are at that age where that doesn't have, that's not a given. Like my kids are 23, 26. By all means, we could have went through times where they weren't talking to me at all or didn't right. respect me at all. But that's not been the case. I'm really grateful to Jesus for his revolutionary um, thoughts about us as human beings and the teachings are revolutionary. Yeah. Michael, did you have any more or? I, I, I do, I do want to kind of ask, um, so, um, you know, we, we talked about kind of contemporary uh, hip hop and contemporary uh, music. Uh, I want to go back and, and, and look at the past uh, just a bit, just in terms of how things get remembered, how we get remembered. Uh, recently, the, um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, had their, uh, their potential inductees for this next year and included two hip hop pioneers. It included uh, Jay-Z as well as LL Cool J. And what I want to ask you is a kind of a, a, a question off of that. I mean, if, if you have any thoughts on that, that's fine. I, I would certainly be interested in, in your, your thoughts on that. But I'm wondering from you, uh, who would be in your musical hall of fame? Who are the people that you would induct into your music hall of fame so that we would see that and know that and know that when I listen to Arrested Development or if I listen to Speech given his solo project, this is who I'm hearing. This is the influence that, that I, I should... I should hear in that music and celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably too many to mention, but I would mention a couple. And Sam Cooke would have to be one of them. Um, and the reason is not just because of his mastery of vocals, his mastery of songwriting, his mm -hmm. mastery of being able to create songs in a very tense racial construct of, of his era that were relatable and yet, um, dignified and amazing for all people to listen to and his business acumen i mean his business ability was above average and that to me is another one of his excellence um his parts of excellence so i would have to say sam cook is one of them um of course bob marley i would say because of his uh hard upbringing and what he brought to the world and the excellent music melodies songwriting capabilities that he had in his music. Um, so those are just a couple that I can mention. As far as hip hop, I definitely think people like LL should be in that in that rank. I think Jay-Z should be in that rank. Um, just you know, Jay-Z is a incredible songwriter. And whether I've agreed with every lyric he's ever written is, is irrelevant. I can't say that about most artists that I listen to, including even LL. But I do, as an artist, I can respect 
songwriting and I can respect mm -hmm. artistry mm -hmm. and vision. Yep. And Jay-Z, one thing that I'll say about Jay-Z is that he always painted a picture well. He always knew the different aspects of hip hop that would make a successful um, you know, uh, product. And he continued to grow regardless of who was around him. So when, when he left, uh, well, when Damon Dash and him sort of had their issues, Dame Dash, he yeah. still was able to grow when, right. you know, regardless of what label he was on at the time, he still was able to grow. That's something that's tough to accomplish. And mm -hmm. so I give him props for that. And I think he does deserves to be in the, the rock. I mean, the, the hall of fame and then yeah. LL very similarly. I mean, LL has been with us for generations now. I mean, I feel like Will Smith needs yes. to be in, the, in the hall of fame. As well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because of all the yeah. ways that he's been able to navigate. I think one of the things that we always, whoever enters the hall of fame to me, one of the aspects that they need to be able to incorporate that makes them worthy of that is as a black artist, especially their ability to navigate this racist system. Cause the fact of the matter is yeah. all of us as blacks are living within a construct that by nature is against us. And if you are able to navigate and still create good music, evolve as an artist and get better and better throughout the years, then that alone is something to be deeply celebrated. And, and, and in my opinion, surely worthy of at least consideration for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So Public mm -hmm. Enemies in that, I agree with that. Um, you mm -hmm. know, that's that's what I feel. Okay. I mean, I, I got to tell you, because uh, I can do it because it's not you saying it. Uh, the, the artist that you described, uh, that would also, you would also fit fit that description as well. Someone who started out a certain way and has certainly showed maturity, growth, uh, not just musically, but also in the lyrics, the things that you're saying and what you're projecting to the world. Uh, and the fact that you came in as in, in a vulnerable way, is it just makes it even more uh, amazing. And, and, and I thank you for being one of those artists that I can at least put in my Hall of Fame. I appreciate that, man. I really do. And let me just say, you know, for me, I feel like I am a student of Black greatness. I believe that as a people, we should find what is great in our culture and put it up on a pedestal and let it be a beacon of light for others that will follow along. And unfortunately, a lot of times, because of corporate involvement too, the opposite is happening in our culture, where sometimes the most foolish among us are celebrated the most. And some of those that are doing very exceptional things and amazing things, pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, sometimes are sort of relatively unknown to comparatively. And so I, I, I study those that are great in our culture and I respect it. So I do hope to be part of that lineage because that's what I that's what I study. Well, speech, I'm, I thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to uh, two big fans of yours. Thank you so much, y'all. Y'all are a pleasure to talk to. <laughs> and if people would like to know more about what you're doing, I suggest please people download 16 Bars. That's available on Amazon Prime as well as Apple Movies. Expansion, where can they find Expansion and also the new project from Arrested Development? The project from Arrested Development is called Don't Fight Your Demons. It is by far one of our best, I think it's possibly our best record since three years, five months, two days in the life of, which was our debut. 
I agree. Yeah. Um, so you could get that. Uh, Don't fight your demons expansion. 16 bars. I mentioned earlier um, the documentary I did called The Nigga Factory. All of that at brotherspeech.com. And that I would give you my social media handles, but I'm off social media for a while. I decided to take a break yesterday. So I've been off since yesterday. Okay. <laughs> Not long. All right. Uh, All right. But I'm off for Send a while. Send it to us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take that fire. We'll take that fire. Exactly. So yeah, brotherspeech.com is where you could get all the links to all of the stuff I've been doing. Cause I'm raising money for black colleges as well. And uh, we've raised over a million dollars for students to go to black colleges. And um, so you could donate to that. And there's a lot of things people could do on my website, brotherspeech.com. Okay. And and that's that's brother E R brother A. E R brother brother E R brother brother brotherspeech.com. All right. Michael Speech, thank you so much. I'm Valerie Johnson and this is Interludes. From the latest album Don't Fight Your Demons by Arrested Development. Here's one of our favorite tracks called Moses. I, I broke acres for acres, then I bought more than 10 acres. That's how I fight against these races. Even my third eye had LASIK. So I've been seeing 2020 since 93, just covering the basics. Everyday people in the public, fans screaming, we want more. I love it. People every day during the encore. Back home, open up my barn door. John Deere tractor, pull it out. Righty more for the mule and 40 acres that never made it around my house. Slave away in my indoor office. Offices is for bosses. Any winner has had losses and falsehoods poured all over them. Don't get lost in the sauces. I asked Jesus, can he save me? I felt myself drowning in these ladies, breaking marital bonds for quick relations. Took my wife on the road to nip temptations. I am no longer a rolling stone. Like Ryan it's one of my favorites from his solo project expansion. Here's Speech with the single Funkin' Great. If you love hip hop music, with music emphasized, then you love the rest of development. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Next time on Interludes, how does losing a loved one affect our daily lives? A talk with filmmaker Kevin Urquhart on the next Interludes. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble, original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. When you book your appointment with A1 Pestmasters, 
Tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called Interludes. For exclusive visual content from our podcast, join our Interludes podcast group on Facebook and subscribe to our new YouTube channel called Interludes. Interludes.